on earth are we? Why in heaven are we here? And how to make sense of this mess of our humanness and perhaps even transcend it. Welcome everyone. From whatever nation state or emotional state you might be in, dawn of an era of well-being is the place to tune in. We're going to deep dive into uplift with insight. And I'm thrilled to welcome our two formidable hosts, two-time Nobel nominee and founder of the Laszlo Institute of Paradigm, New Paradigm Research, that's key, New Paradigm, and the Club of Budapest, Professor Irvin Laszlo, and a fourth-generation family business entrepreneur who's the founder of ITEA Institute Quantum Leadership Center, Fred Sal. I like to start each episode by acknowledging our worldwide audience, of whom some are lucky enough to be thriving in this remarkable new environment, but for many, it's really challenging. A dawn of an era of well-being podcast and book hopes to offer real comfort to the global community and help us awaken to a new paradigm and a new era of well-being. We encourage you to not only read the book and hear the podcast, but to feel them, to start awakening your senses to different ways of perceiving beyond just our eyes and just our ears. Because this is the space that Irvin and Fred refer to as consciousness. And that's our comfort zone for the long term. So before I introduce today's illustrious guest, Lynn McTaggart, I want to talk briefly about intention, Irvin and Fred. Is there an energetic difference for you between paying attention to your day-to-day experience of life and your work versus paying intention to it? Is there a difference between attention and intention? Irvin, would you like to start? Intention is consciously messaging, not just doing it haphazardly or perhaps tacitly, but wanting to achieve something. trying to create an effect that we foresee, that we hope for, that we wish for. Intention makes a tremendous difference. I know I have my healing friends, for example, alternative healing medical friends, who say that their system of subtle healing will not work unless you wish for it. You know, you really, uh, otherwise, you, if, 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 even if you're not aware of it, sometimes it might work, but certainly it could be, could be rejected. But you have to ask for it. I think this is true and everywhere. We have had recently podcasts. We were talking about having to ask for the information that we are that we are seeking, and then it's coming to us. So I think it's ex- ex- and Lynn will talk about this. I'm sure it's her experiments are crucial in showing this. Intention is an a focused awareness and asking for something, wanting to achieve something. In the highest, ultimate respect, it is what Gandhi said, to be, we wish to be the change we want to see. Whatever we want to be, whatever we want to have, want to wish for, we have to first be. I think that is the great insight. I think it's up to us, it's in us, it's for us, for the world, but we have to be conscious of it. But I'm sure Lynn has a great deal more, knows more about this. Indeed. And I think one of the, thank you so much, Irvin. One of the questions I'm going to ask Lynn, among many others, is if you can have intention without attention, do you need to draw your attention first 
onto what you intend to do. But before you address that, Lynn, let me make a proper introduction. Lynn McTaggart, an award-winning journalist and the author of seven books, including her forthcoming book, The Power of Eight, and the worldwide bestsellers, The Field, The Intention Experiment, and The Bond. They're all considered seminal books of the new science and now translated into 30 languages Lynn's been referred over the years as a metaphysical rock star. Whoa, the Madonna of the quantum world, the Malcolm Gladwell of the new science, and even the Dalai Mama. I love that one. She is consistently voted one of the world's top 100 spiritual leaders for her groundbreaking work with consciousness and the power of intention. And she's chiefly known for the quality of her writing and in-depth research. She's also architect of the Intention Experiment, which is a global laboratory, if you will, involving thousands of readers around the world, testing the power of group thoughts to heal the world. And as co-founder and editor of the world's number one health magazine, What Doctors Don't Tell You, now published in 14 countries worldwide, Lynn is a tireless campaigner for consumer rights in healthcare. Most recently, she's discovered the power of eight phenomenon, the fact that intention magnifies and rebounds in a small group, which is presently being studied by a major university. Oh my goodness, Lynn McTaggart, welcome to this show. And I want to just jump off from Irvin's very insightful comment about intention and its power to that question about if you can have intention without attention. Well, I just want to start with that, and then I'd like to hear so much more from you. And thank you for that introduction. And it's my honor to be here, particularly with Dr. Laszlo. Um, intention, you know, our, we have a lot of misinformation apprehensions about it and understanding about it. And we think it's just a single power thought. The problem is we are broadcasting 24 seven. We are, you know, our thoughts are trespassers that affect other people and things. And all of the thoughts we have, essentially, all of that unconscious thinking that we are beaming out there, that also is an intention. So to answer your point, we need to become mindful. We need to pay attention to what it is we're thinking most of the time. We've got 70,000 thoughts a day on average. And so if most of them are negative, undermining, or something like that, it will, it will nullify any intention we have. So we have to become very conscious of what we're thinking. And as Irvin says, if we're trying to heal, it's as important to have the right thoughts and words as it is to have the right modality. Very, very important then. It's the tandem. Uh, they're really uh, interconnected. And I'm curious how important is, because you do intention experiments, and we will delve more deeply into what those actually are. You do these powerful experiments around the world. And I know that you've done uh, some and the power of eight groups in really magnificent environments. I think you were in Spain at a monastery a, a couple of years ago. How important is ambiance, is actual physical environment to the success of drawing forth uh, the power 
of eight and the power of these intention experiments, because so much of the world uh, is really not living in an ambiance that may be supportive or conducive. So what is your thought about that? Well, there's some pretty decent scientific evidence showing that there's essentially a linger effect in sacred spaces that they are, you know, they've been, there've been studies with certain equipment showing that uh, the, there's a kind of conscious energy that lingers there, whether it's the pyramids of Giza or, you know, a monastery or, a, you know, a church. So we began doing power of eight groups, small group intention together in churches, and we choose specific places for some of the retreats we hold because of that linger effect. The evidence also shows that studies of healing start to work faster and better if you do them in the same place. So in a sense, you know, powerful, positive intention tends to, in the same place, tends to condition that space. So that's why. And then from that space, is conditioned uh, and primed, can, how does that marry with other spaces and places around the world that are in such need of healing? Does that permeate out, in other words? How does that connect? No, <laughs> I mean, the science is the science shows that it, you know, it's contained in that space because that space has had a history of of healing, essentially, and also histories of trauma. We see also that kind of effect on equipment, on random equipment in places like Wounded Knee, where there was, you know, the massacre. So there is that kind of effect that linger effect, as I call it, in places for positive and negative, for good or bad. I think in so many parts of the world that need healing, it's about focusing on those places. That's been really what we've been doing since 2007. We've done, I think, about 10 um, peace intention experiments to try to lower violence in areas. and. We've had a variety of scientists measure the results, and they've been very compelling. But there's a more interesting thing that happens with these intention experiments. The real point of the story is not the effect on the targets, but the effect on the participants. Um, we've seen repeatedly when polarized groups of people come together with these intention experiments, um, they begin their their opposition to each other begins to to fade. For instance, we did an intention experiment for Jerusalem, which was um, experiencing a lot of violence a few years ago. And we had people from Arabs from about nine different locations joining in with an audience of Israeli Jews. And I'd had difficulty even getting this group to, to even speak to each other, the, the, the different tribes. And by the end of it, they were saying, my God is your God, you know, I love you, sister, pass messages back and forth. And so my big interest now is intention for polarized communities and group intention, the power to, to heal that. Let me come back to this because this is really important in these very divisive times worldwide. But Fred, uh, Fred, are you there? I just want to make sure we have Fred with us. 
He is popped in. Yes, I am. I am. There's a Because I'm kind of on the road. Yes. Fred's in a vortex right now, but I think a very healing one. (laughs) In the car going down to the street, the moment was over. It might be a little disruptive, but okay, I can talk if you don't mind. Well, I will no, be talking. Don't mind, and uh, very much welcome your uh, input because, Fred, I understand that you have. I think you're in your second annual at one holistic wellness festival right now um, at the Sangha retreat. Is that correct? Uh, no, 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 no. That has been due to the. Uh, sparing up of the uh, COVID virus recently, so uh, okay. it's somewhat delayed. And then see how the the uh, regulations might be uh, changing. Uh, but uh, okay. the question that yes. you have in mind, which is uh, attention. We lost the audio, or did everybody hear that? I did not hear that keyword. Can you repeat? I said the question. The question yep. is attention and intention, right? Yes. And I heard both okay. those words now. And I'm sure our listeners okay. did tell us. So, you know, <laughs> our thoughts are so fast. If you don't pay attention, you won't catch them. <laughs> and if you can, oh no, it's flipping is so fast. It's so fast. Uh, if you really want to catch them, you have to be so deep in meditation before you can catch the thoughts. But you will catch a thought because it emerges from many, many thoughts. But if you're a practitioner, you catch a thought. You can now stay with it to find behind that thought from attention, the intention behind that thought. Does that continue to unravel like an onion or do you ever reach a conclusive point where intention actually originates? Yes. So you come out and you thought that was the intention, but there is intention behind intention and layer and layer until you hit the end of the intention. Then you see the truth about your intention. Uh, And so this is a way that you look at attention and intention because you don't pay attention. You have no idea. And you think you think you know about your intention, but you don't really know about your intention until you be able to observe this layer and layer to see your true intention. Now, There is one true intention that can clean up all the thoughts once you open up to that intention. That is the intention of the soul, the reason why you're there, and there is an intention there. If you can open up to that intention, it will clean up your thoughts and will expounding all the thoughts coming from that intention. So the idea is to pay attention until you clean up everything to reach that intention, open up that intention and you hold that intention to clean up all the necessary thought that comes from all the other intentions that comes from ignorance. Oh, oh my this intention. <laughs> Lynn, this is fascinating to me because I know, I don't know if you're aware, but uh, Fred, really the whole thrust of these conversations is about wellness and bringing forth wellness into this very troubled world. And particularly in terms of dawn of an era of well-being, the marriage of East-West and how we can combine the two for the very best. I know that uh, Fred has a Sangha, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, retreat in China. And I was thinking what a fascinating thing it might be to go to his 
is at one festival and give an intention experiment workshop or a power of eight workshop, because isn't that correct, Fred, that you have several different practitioners from around the world and different um, different forms of healing and meditation? Yeah, it matter. And these are just a matter. These are just uh, modality. The principle is simple. Mm -hmm. If you become still, you will start going in. And uh, and uh, when you got in, you will see. You will. Okay, I am getting a telepathic feed from you, Fred, because I heard nothing. I don't know if anybody else okay. heard. All right. Here we go. Okay. So I'm here. I'm here. So it's fine. Um, let me get out of the car first because get out of the I'm car kind of because in the middle of. Yeah, I'm in the That's middle right. of something. Right? We're going to so, go back so, to Lynn. Um, all right, so I want to, yeah, you go back to Lynn. Give me another few minutes. Um, it's raining. Absolutely. <laughs> Your intention is to go where we can hear you. Lynn, my intention is to go back to you, <laughs> where we can talk a little bit more in depth for the, those uh, listeners who are not familiar with the Power of Eight and the Intention Experiment. Can you give us just um, a brief understanding of what those are? And then I want to talk to you about, uh, it was your recent Afghanistan healing, which I found to be also very powerful. First. Again, explain these two very profound. Okay. Yeah. All righty. <laughs> um, in the mid-1990s, I became very curious about why things like spiritual healing work. And I thought, if you can send a thought to someone else and make them better, that undermines everything we think about how the world works. So I set about trying to find that. And I went to speak to many frontier uh, scientists, physicists, et cetera, in consciousness research. And the result of that was an, an amalgam of their, their work and a synthesizing of their work. And that became my book, The Field. There was a lot of unfinished business in my view, because there were, had been many studies and a lot of research into the idea that thoughts are an actual something with the capacity to change physical matter. So I am a, an investigative reporter by background. That is my background. And so that sense of skeptical inquiry has never left me. And so I wanted to see how far we can take this. At the time, I knew lots of scientists working in consciousness research. And as you mentioned, I had a lot of readers. So I thought if I just bring them together, I'll have this one of the largest global laboratories in the world to explore how far we can take intention. You know, are we talking about a very subtle quantum effect, like you know, shifting a quantum particle, or are we talking about curing cancer with our thoughts? So hence we started the intention experiment. Every so often I invite readers around the world to take part in these ongoing experiments. We've run 40 to date. Everything from trying to make seeds grow faster and purify water to lowering violence in war-torn areas to even healing someone of post-traumatic stress disorder. Of the 40, 35 have shown measurable, positive, mostly significant effects. Um, from there, I tried to scale it down, experimenting with groups in a workshop, just groups of eight to send healing intention to a member of the group with a health challenge. And to my astonishment, because that hadn't been 
an area, you know, I'm not, I was not a healer. I am not a healer. Um, but I found people were having extraordinary healings. Um, we, in the first time we did it, we had someone with um, cataracts who said they were 80% better. We had someone else uh, who was due to have an operation on their knee, do a deep squat afterward and be able to uh, cancel their knee replacement surgery. We've had thousands of healings now in the time since 2008. By the way, my book is already out, The Power of Eight. Excuse me. And, yes, it is, because we will need that, won't we? <laughs> As we go forth. Thank but you. But what has been really most interesting to me, and I've been experimenting with both ever since 2007, and what I've found through the thousands of groups I've worked with is small group intention or large group intention creates an extraordinary state of oneness. And we've seen that from brainwave studies I've done with neuroscientists. Uh, we did one study using just novices, people who had never done this before, students. And we found consistently across the groups, it was nothing like meditation, complete opposite brainwave signature. But we found a lowering of the parts of the brain that make us feel separate, the parietal lobes, other parts of the brain, also parts of the brain involved in worry, doubt, negativity, also turned down. The brainwave signatures looked identical to those of Buddhist monks in ecstatic prayer or Sufi masters during chanting. In, in other words, a state of essentially ecstatic oneness. And so I think that is the powerful element in group intention. We get out of our own sense of separateness into a state of ecstatic oneness, and that's where healing begins and ends in all capacities. Uh, this is this is fascinating to me. Do you do follow up studies um, months or years later to see if there's um, I call it a tail light of the comet or how long that endures? Is there? I asked this a little bit also of Roger Nelson. We interviewed him recently. And if the random number generators are, are sort of tracked over time to see the longevity or, or not, or fluctuations. Okay, we follow up for a while. Um, right. We looked at, for instance, we did a study of St. Louis, Missouri, which is officially the most violent place in the world, or in, in America anyway. Um, right. And um, we chose the neighborhood that is the most violent place in St. Louis. And we did a study, we worked with a, a professor of statistics at, at University of California who analyzed data from three years before three year, and six months afterward. We noticed that violent crime, everything other kind of crime went up everywhere else and property crime went up in this area in this area called fairground but in our in our one intention had been to lower violent crime that went down and stayed down in the time that we looked at as i mentioned too it's really interesting the attention experiments but there's something much more interesting which is what happens to the participants and i think this is what's really powerful. I survey them after every intention experiment and have done so since 2008. And I find that when people are intending for peace, 
their lives become more peaceful. There's an extraordinary mirror effect. And, and you know, we, we I have reports essentially of one third of respondents have some sort of physical change, improvement, healing, but their lives become more peaceful. They're about half say they're more in love with everyone they come in contact with. Um, people are getting along better with estranged relationships, um, not so nice bosses, um, children who don't speak to them or suddenly connect with them. They're basically hugging strangers. So that is to me the real outcome is the effect on the participants, this kind of sense of ecstatic oneness that they experience seems to change their lives. It's akin to essentially a mystical experience. So that's the thing I've been really interested in looking at because they also feel, feel more tolerance for people not like them. And that's where it comes together with warring groups of people polarized societies, I feel this is a really important piece to bring people together for this kind of superordinate goal. The target isn't important, it's, it's the process and its effect on the participants. I'm going to quote you. Uh, let's see if I can find my quote. Okay, this is from a YouTube video uh, that was the Healing Afghanistan Intention Experiment, a time code 1.03.48, people, <laughs> tune into that. You say, if I'm correct, it doesn't require a calamity to have the essential bond that we all feel, quote, unquote. I really resonated to that. And I think a lot of us around the world, after these in particular two loony years uh, on Earth, would resonate to that, but would you tell us what uh, what you actually meant by that? And do you feel that we need um, do you feel that we need a global intention experiment, something that now catapults the power of eight to the power of eight billion? And I'm talking about an event, for example, for example, or, or something that really shows it on the the widescreen, the largest scale possible. And why aren't you at the COP26 or the G7s or the G20s? Because I think you can have enormous impact with leadership if they were willing. Thank you. Tell us. Thank you very much. Thank you. We did an intention, well, just an informal intention for the COP26 uh, last Sunday. Um, it doesn't take a calamity because other research, and I put this in my book, The Bond, demonstrates there is a connection between us, between our subatomic particles and between my subatomic particles and yours, between um, our uh, interactions with each other, between our environment, even between the stars and the planets. There is an interconnection so profound and integral, it's impossible to say where one thing ends and another thing begins. And I've always called it the bond. And it is that connection we can always tap into. And we see it, as I say, with intention experiments, the science shows that when you do something altruistic, like focus on healing something outside yourselves, you turn on a thing called the vagus nerve, which is the longest nerve in the body, connects all the major organs. But here's the most interesting part of it. 
studies of at the University of California at Berkeley have shown that when people focus on something like the world's victims, like starving children, afterward, when they've been measured, they've found that they're more open and connected to people not like them. You know, if they're Democrats, Republicans, or the homeless or prisoners or something like that, when people focus on something that just reinforces themselves, like in this study, they had students focusing on um, images designed to elicit pride, like their, the Berkeley University, the playing Stanford, you know, their, their nearest football rivals, et cetera. They felt only connected to the people just like them or the people they were going to become, doctors, lawyers, professionals. So from there, that gave me an insight into what must happen during these intention experiments when we're involved in this altruistic thing altogether, then something activates in ourselves that makes us essentially feel that bond and also take it into our lives. So yes, it would be brilliant to do a worldwide intention experiment, not for the target, but for the outcome on the participants. And also think about it, even if we didn't get everybody in the world, the ripple effect of anyone participating is probably much larger than what we could do to a target, because that will ripple out into their lives and affect other people, et cetera, et cetera. Well said, well said. Irvin, I want to bounce this back to you because uh, Lynn is talking about the, um, Lynn is talking about the, uh, the collective and the rippling out effect, and I guess the empathy that we can uh, experience and upon vis-a-vis uh, -vis these intention experiments, do you think that the COVID pandemic, so much of the world population was already living in dire straits uh, for, for epochs. I mean, we don't have to count the numbers, but the majority of the world population. And because COVID came uh, to everybody's home, essentially, it almost leveled the playing field, but in a in a catastrophe kind of way. But do you think that the pandemic has already created an empathy, a, a, a seed of empathy that that Lynn is sort of referring to? Has it has that been elicited on the part of those that used to have so much, but then were also affected by the pandemic worldwide? Well, it could have. Mm -hmm. There is a blocking factor, and that's partly fear, and partly this narrow focus on one's own separateness, and so the mindset, the worldview, paradigm, whatever you call it. We could begin to feel our oneness because we have demonstration that everybody is affected by the same crisis, that we are all in the same boat. But it's blocking. If fear is blocking, poverty is blocking. The interests of the of the well-off, their their worry that their privileges will be lost. So our separateness is re, is reasserting itself when we are challenged. <clears throat> now, the positive effect of these experiments is to show people, to convince people that we are not separate, that there is a communication going on all the time. It's a normal state of affairs. 
You know, I think it was Nikola Tesla who said that if you want to know more about the real world, think in terms of frequencies, not in terms of things, of course, you might add. We tend to still think of what is the effect of A on B, as though A and B were separate. You know. And then we can ask, what is the effect of an event on both A and B? It's an important ways of analyzing, but ultimately they are just shorthand ways of segmenting the problem so that we can cope with it. The greater reality that we also have to recognize is that there is a oneness, that we are frequencies in the same field, in the same wave field, a universal a quantum field, an Akashic field, if you like. So I think this, if we can find the effect, as Lin is saying, not so much the question of what you wanted to achieve, but the effect on those who are trying to achieve it. If we can that focus that, then we can see how people are responding to the <clears throat> many great global projects from climate change, you know, to, to the, the, uh, the violence in the world, and all the problems that we could list today. If we are attacking those problems, how do people respond if, if they can bring up the intention? The great, great question, the great link or, or missing link on our, on our solution table is how we could generate the will for people to come together and jointly create a better world. Leaders won't do that unless there is a very strong support from the grassroots for them. Party politics has to be overcome in that respect. I mean, even, even everyday people will be skeptical. I think you're just talking about this oneness, but I know I'm here and you're over there and, and we are separate. Einstein said that separateness is an illusion, but Sam Einstein knew that on the basis of his theories. We need to have proof. And Lin is producing some interesting and very important proof that we indeed are not separate. It's not a question of A acting on B. It's a question of A projecting something which affects B and which therefore also affects A because A and B are really one and not two. So that is, if we can get that sense into the human community, they will be overcoming this great blocking factor that the people in the UN uh, are always calling and elsewhere calling the political will, the lack of political will. We could overcome that if we, if we people start beginning to feel that it's their interest, it's their world that they are salvaging, not, some, <clears throat> not something else. That would be the big question. And that's a fantastic perspective open by Lin's work on these experiments, the effect on the experimenter himself and herself. Absolutely. So, so important what you're saying and so important the work that you're doing, Lynn, precisely because of this element, not only of the intention of the intention experiment and the power of eight, but the tangible proof, as Irvin is saying, the concretization that this is not just something conceptual, it's real. And there are many people that are 
they they don't know what to trust anymore. There's fake everything, it seems. And as we're veering towards um, some are worried about a more virtual world, for example, meta Facebook going into meta and what that is going to do to the mindset. In a sense, it's nice to have something in hand, some kind of tangible proof of what you're you're doing. And it's very reassuring. And Fred, I just wanted, now that you're back on earth, Fred, I wanted to return to this idea of, um, well, I wanted to ask you briefly, Fred, about leadership, your view of why leadership is so um, blocked, if you will, to being open to things like the power of aid and the intention experiment and engaging more. What What is that stumbling block in your mind? I think I'd like to go back to the question earlier about intention, but that's very important. Because we always have so clocked up with our thinking, so we have an intent. And that is because of our ignorance of reality and the separation uh, that we perceive in the three-dimensional world. They always have an intent. I intend to be good. I intend to be this. But because we have no true understanding of intention, the whole idea is when you pay attention, and you become still, you see layer of intention behind intention. Until you are so deep in meditation, you can see all the thoughts and you pierce through and you shifted your level of consciousness to see back down into individuated consciousness that's linked to the collective consciousness that's linked to the field. When you reach that state, it's called awakening. At the awakening stage, your intention disappeared and your individual collective consciousness has its own intent to do what you're supposed to do in the three-dimensional world. It expresses itself, it follows the evolutionary energy. So no longer you run things by intention, the true intentions is in place and now your thoughts are constantly flowing through this evolutionary force to create what should be created mm. at so-called the moment. So moment of moment, this is living in the now, is when you have no intention and your creativity is flowing through you to what's needed moment to moment. This is a type of leadership because we have a leadership, we think we have to do this, we have this intention. And even you think your intention to be good what is good? What is bad? Right? And so this is totally warped into a lack of ignorance of reality that there is no good or bad. There is only a stream of flow of energy and it's flowing through an evolutionary. Moment to moment is calibrated to perfection, but the next moment is unknown. Why? Because human being has a choice. I and that comes from intention. With the thought, we create. And intention is very important. And you're talking about, really, now you're talking about that soul intention, if that was the, the wording that you used earlier. The yes, exactly. The intention of the net, the field, the intention of what the true nature of the field want us to hear, to evolve, to, to express ourselves. And so when we are setting an intention of unity, like I wish everybody is good, that is mimicking the truth. 
And so therefore, it will echo with our soul energy and therefore has healing power. Mm. Those cannot go. Anything that's unifying as one and radiates from love will actually call on the true nature of our soul and create. Only in stillness or the net or the, 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 the field or our soul can heal us, not medicine. Well, this, this is, is I think, so, yeah. so, so ter, ter important, importantissimo, you would say. Because this evolutionary force that Fred is referring to, it's what I think is the intention of the cosmos, so to speak. It's maybe called like a divine intention, something that is encoded in the universe. Because this is not a chance universe, this, this is a universe that's evolving and it's producing coherence. And if we can tap into this, this is when we can move forward. And what Fred is saying, we can enter these states of meditation in the state of what, what Lynn is talking, ecstatic oneness, that we can reach through also the means that Fred is talking about. I mean, these are the things that, that we need to can focus on. It's an aha experience. It's not inventing something. It's discovering something which is there. I think it's entering the kind of state and that, that, that Fred is, and that we are trying to do in the book and the dawn of a new era as well, helping people to enter the state in which we can experience oneness and, and be well, because all people around us are well. So together, this, to moving in this direction is really the great chance that we have in the world. So uh, Lynn's experiments will concretize this and we can all follow it and benefit from it. We have to refer to these experiments. We have to get them known and encourage people to enter into it themselves because then they will feel it on themselves. The effects will be felt on themselves because they are not here and there you are not here and others there. They are already there. You know, it's like Topsy was supposed to have said when they asked, why would you want to travel? Because he says, well, I don't want me to travel because I'm already there. <laughs> we don't need to f learn and to create oneness because we already have it. We just have to discover it. And I think that's the secret. And that's what Link can help us to do. That's what we with Fred are trying to do in our work, in, in the podcast, to discover it. So we can have the aha experience of finding what we truly are. So thanks, these are great opportunities and wonderful that all of you participate for Lynn and Fred and Alison to help us meet this goal of discovering our oneness in the world. Well, this is a divine note to conclude on today. I have to say that I am now eager to see a divine intention experiment and maybe Lynn will go to Sankara retreat and do something from there with you, Fred. I don't know, I'm just putting it out there, but wherever you are, Lynn, wherever we all are, we're emanating a certain vibe and an intention which couldn't be more needed now. So once again, a compelling note to conclude on for now. I'm Alison Goldwyn with our hosts, Irvin Laszlo and Fred Sow, and today's very special guest, Lynn McTaggart, inviting you to join us for more episodes of Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing. And consider that the holiday season is fast upon us, and it may not feel like a holiday for many people. So I encourage you to buy this book and make a wonderful gift of uplift to 
someone else or especially to yourself. The bravado of our ego has historically gotten the better of us. So when we build a new paradigm for humankind, let's try to include human kindness. Stay attuned and stay tuned. Thank you for joining us. Dawn of an Era of Well-Being is a co-production of the Laszlo Institute, ITEA Institute, and Select Books. It's produced by Nora Cesar and Kenichi Sugihara, with theme music Chimera by Biba Dupont. The book, Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, co-authored by Irvin Laszlo and Frederick Sau, is available wherever books or e-books are sold. Please subscribe to Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, the podcast, on Apple or Spotify for more fascinating guests and discussion. My name is Alan. Alison Goldwyn, founder and creative director of Synchronistory.com, a future party for the planet broadcast live worldwide. Wishing you well-being till we talk again next week. So-